This is Journey Church Podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. the only one that forgets things. We forgot to release all the children and the junior highs. Harmon, yeah, I got you, man. So kids, you can go to your programs at this time and high five someone around you. Say hi. Maybe you see someone new beside you. Say, hey, we're going to pray together at the end of the service. Say that to them. Say, hi, my name is, and we're going to pray together at the end of the service. Okay, that's what we're going to do. All right, you may be seated this morning. Welcome to week two in our series entitled Movement. (laughs) That's why we've got you moving here today. Not really, that was all by accident. You know, we began two weeks ago, Pastor Jess started uh, this series through the book of Acts. And uh, last week, Jess explained that the church is not a place, it's a movement. Everybody say the word movement. Yeah, but over the years, that's been lost, right? Church has been degraded to become a place where we go to. It's, uh, it's an event we attend. What do you do on Sunday? I'm going to church. Uh, you can see that in the words we use. The original word in Greek was ecclesia or ecclesia. It was an assembly or called out around a mission. The word we use in English comes from the German word, de Kirsch. I'm saying that wrong, meaning a place you gather for religious purposes. So the original church was a movement gathered around mission. The mission came first. The mission was given in Acts 1. The church wasn't formed until Acts 2. In fact, I've heard it said this way, that God doesn't have a mission for his church. He made a church for his mission. Is there an amen in the room today? Church is a movement. It's a moving thing, which means a church that is not on mission is not really a church. And believers who are not on mission are really not part of the church. And so movements move. And if you're not moving, you're not part of the movement. I want to say this is a moving church. There are so many parts. And and through our all-in series, you heard of ways that they get connected. And and people have been doing that. It's it's been so exciting to see. I want to shout out to some guys in the room today. I don't know if you're here, but uh, hear this. Jonah, Case, Dustin, and Devin, you guys did something incredible out in the... the, the, uh, the uh, flower pots outside and put some, just made it look beautiful. Can we give it up for these guys? Like nobody said, you got to go out there and take care of our flowers. They just said, we care. We care. And there's a number of you in this church that care and want to do something and want to keep moving. Now, Acts 1 shows us two things. You have your Bibles, go to the book of Acts because you're going you're gonna to want to reference this and look at this. Acts shows us two things that propelled the movement being captured by the message, and being yielded to the Spirit. Have you ever been captured by the message? Not do you assent to it. I mean, that's the reason why you're here today. But have you been captured by the message? And are you yielded to the Spirit? I want you to think about that just for a minute today. Am I really yielded to the Spirit today? 
Do you know what it means to walk with him? To be filled by him. To walk in the power of the Spirit. I mean, what does that even mean? Maybe this is new to you. You're like, I didn't know I was in a Pentecostal church. I thought you were just singing great songs, and I liked the lights, uh, but I didn't know you were going to talk about the Holy Spirit. Do you fellowship with the Spirit? Do you move in His power? I want you to think about these things. Let me ask you this. Is Christianity a set of beliefs to which you adhere to and a lifestyle that you conform to? Or is it a dynamic relationship with the living God who lives inside of you that has consumed every part of your life? You know, one of our prayers and our deepest hopes is that over the series that, that we may all become more of a spirit-filled church. Can I get an amen today? And less of a community center where we do great things and we just do things together. And I, and I think you, you all know that I don't mean crazy stuff like three-hour offering appeals and everyone now must call me Reverend Bishop de Sabatino III or whatever, and, and that Jessica is like First Lady Jessica or something like that. That's not what I'm talking about, but I'm talking Journey Church, that I want us to become a spirit-filled church. That's what the whole book of Acts is about. It's living and moving and walking in the Spirit of God. Today I want to look at two things. The coming of the Spirit, which we look at in the book of Acts. What was it like, and what was the response to it? Which is the birth of the church. So in Acts 2, if you have your Bibles, you can take a look there. I'll just kind of reference portions of Scripture here, verses 1 through 11. When the day of Pentecost arrived. Now, Pentecost, by the way, was, is a Jewish holiday. It is derived from the, the, the number 50. It was 50 days after Passover, and he ascended on the 40th day. So that Pentecost is another 10 days after that. They were all together in one place, the Bible says. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Now, rushing wind really is not translated well here. The author is trying to say to us, it was more like a powerful tornado. Now, I've never been in our tornado, maybe some of you have experienced that, that kind of sense of, of awe and, and wonder in the wind, but it was incredible, and it was moving in the room. And so there was a powerful moment. There's these high winds. Can you imagine praying and then the high winds just showing up? What's being written here is it's disturbing. Like something is happening here. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. Now, that's an amazing picture. Now, if you've, been, if you've ever read this scripture before, maybe you've read it a million times, you're like, okay, I understand, I understand. I want you to see this in a new way today. There was fire that was resting upon them. In the Old Testament, any time that the presence of God showed up, it was almost always through fire. God appeared to Moses where? In the burning bush. 
He led the children of Israel through the desert where? Through a pillar of fire. Like he brings direction. He brings clarity. He led, he, he, he descended on the Holy of Holies. How? Through the fire. The fire was terrifying and often fatal. You couldn't touch it. You couldn't look at it. And now it's on the head of every single believer in that room. Every believer is, is a burning bush for the presence of God. And instead of dying, they come alive. Isn't this cool? Think about this just for a minute. For the Spirit of God to live inside of you. I don't think we think about this very much. This is something that would have blown away the, th the thinking of the believers of that time. In the Old Testament, they couldn't get near the presence of God. It would kill them. And now it lives inside of them. Oh, man. We have that spirit in each one of us today. Peter says that the angels have longed for this. They have wished and they, they had the presence of God. And now the spirit lives inside every single believer. The Holy Spirit, the one who spoke into existence, the very world we live in, fused himself with your very soul. Isn't this amazing? Verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were in Jerusalem Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven. At this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? We hear them telling in, his, uh, telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. These tongues were other human languages spoken. They were unknown to the speaker, but known to someone else there. All flesh at this time, not just the Jews. Up until this point, God had moved and worked in the nation of Israel. Now he's, his work has gone out to all nations. Every people of every nation on earth should know and worship Jesus. This is an incredible thing that's taken place, being filled with the Spirit. And prophesying God's word was not just for a few select people anymore. It was for all the believers. Verse 12, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. Ah. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this was what uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days, it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Isn't this good? And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Do you know how in the Old Testament, prophets, they had a book with their name on it, recording their actions and recording their words. It's as if now each one of us has our own 
the book of the Spirit. That's not to say we're writing in Scripture today, but Scripture is in a special class by, all by itself. It's to say that the Spirit is in you today. Today, in this moment, the Spirit of God is in you, moving through you. Every single believer should be able to have a book written about them, about all the things that the Spirit of God said and did through them. And so Peter, he goes on, filled with the Spirit. He goes on to, to preach. He preaches this sermon about who Jesus is. And at the end, people call out, what should we do? And Peter says, repent. Receive this gift of salvation. And be baptized as a sign of this. And 3,000 people respond. This is a logistical nightmare. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if 3,000 people respond to a message and want to get baptized here at Journey Church? Woo! Tank's not ready. We are not ready for that. By the way, the number of 3,000 is significant. When the law was given, it was given only to the Jews. And 3,000 had died due to the fact that they broke it immediately. At the coming of the Spirit, 3,000 people from nations all over the earth come to life. The new believers had little tongues of fire on their heads. They were at the temple where the fire of God historically had burned. It was as if God was saying, I've moved my house from one temple to every single believer. Oh, man. Now, here's the description of that first church. In Acts 2, 42 to 47, I want to focus on this. It says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I want to focus on this idea of being devoted. They gave themselves to four things. There was four things here, how they abandoned themselves to these things. They unselfishly gave themselves to these things. They did this in response to the gospel. It wasn't something that they were told to do. Like if I were to stand up here today and say, okay, you need to do these four things. That is not what happened here. They understood by the Spirit speaking to them, but God was moving and stirred their hearts. It was a natural reaction to Jesus' gospel. That if you really believe the gospel, you just naturally do these things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread. Let's look at the apostles' teaching first. They devoured what was being taught. They devoured what was being taught. Christianity teaches that salvation is a gift from heaven. That salvation is outside of you. 
I want you to catch this. The wind is from outside. Agreed? Not from within. Fire comes from outside of them and dwells on top of them. Not from within. So you have to get the teaching of the word of God, the apostles' teaching from the outside and get it inside of you. Our world says the opposite. It tells us that there are too many negative influences from the outside that have impacted you in a certain way and, and we've got to get down to the inner person. We've got to find out what that inner self looks like, the, the inner beauty that is you and you have to discover yourself. If you learn to manage your problems, then the inner part of you just comes out. It's a New York Times article written by a psychologist. He was lamenting about how, how fewer and fewer people are, are coming to a specific therapy. And the, the psychologist said fewer and fewer people are coming in saying, I need a change. What I see is more people wanting someone or something else to change. So, he says, my practice pitch went from, I treat people with depression and anxiety to, are you having, having trouble with difficult people in your life? Maybe I can help. You see that? Christianity says no. The fundamental problem is, are you ready for it? You. You. The problem is us. You're the problem. Oh, welcome to church, everybody. Welcome to Journey Church. Glad you're here today. The problem is you. It doesn't sell very well, does it? I'm not looking for new friends today. I want to preach the word of God. I want you to hear this today. I want you to get this deep in your spirit and let God say something to you. Open your ears to what he would say to you. The reason you're unhappy, and this may sound offensive to some people here today, the reason you're unhappy has nothing to do with your marriage or your work situation or the relationships that you're in today. Listen, they may not be ideal. They may be really difficult, but the reason you're unhappy today has to do with a problem in your heart. There is something in your heart that is wrong, that is dead. There's something that is dissatisfied. What you need is, is not a change to your circumstances, but a renewal of your heart. So you have to devote yourself to the apostles' teaching because that word has to get into your heart. That's the only way a dead man's heart comes alive. That's the only way a dysfunctional heart becomes normal. There is no shortcut on this one. There's no, like, easier method. There's not a simpler way to do this. There is no other way to become a disciple of Christ. God's word must be injected into your heart. 
Are you hearing me today? But how? Christianity is a a word-based religion. God revealed himself to us through the word. He gives it to us through books and words. Our hearts are, are not naturally godly. Our sin makes us think incorrectly. Our hearts often distort the ideal that God has for us so that the only way to become a devoted disciple is to get the word of God inside of you each and every day. That means if you're not reading his word, let me just encourage you, get into his word. There is no better time to start than in the moment. If you've been following along in our Bible reading plan and you're like, oh my goodness, it's June and I've hit a few, do not feel ashamed. Do not feel embarrassed. Do not feel like, I just can't. No, start reading today. Start memorizing scripture. Let God's word shape you and change you and form you and rejuvenate you and bring you alive today because that's what his word does. It's so easy and so life-changing as you get into the word together with others in this community, and I believe we can do this together. It's so encouraging. This morning during pre-service prayer, one of, one of our staff members came and shared what God was saying as they were reading the word this week. I'm like, oh, I was thinking the same thing. It's so cool how, how God speaks to us and how he encourages us and challenges us together. So I want to encourage you, get into the word of God. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to getting into the word of God. They were also devoted to each other. They gave themselves to each other. They met together in the big group. Let's call this the big group, church on Sundays. And then they broke out into small groups. And we have those here at Journey Church. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. By the way, being part of a small group is, is not some legalistic thing we, that we do here. It, it's what you do in the group that really matters, right? In verse 44, this, this word together is repeated. Those who, who believed were together. They they attended the temple together. They prayed together. The question is not, are you in a small group? The question we should be asking ourselves is, are we investing in people's lives? Am I investing in people's lives and open to others so that they can invest in yours? The question is not, just are you together in this big group in a diverse church thank god he's brought people from all nations together in this church it's been of our one of our hearts desires and prayers being intentional to see god from uh, all nations coming together come on give yourselves a clap as we continue to believe god's going to continue to reach different cultures and you're here for a purpose you have a place here The question is, are you reaching across some of the racial and cultural divides and reaching out to those who are not like you? What are you learning? What are you growing in? What are you learning from one another? Well, some people say, well, I stopped going to a small group because I just wasn't getting anything out of it. Well, look at Scripture. 
The Bible says they devoted themselves, they gave themselves away. They gave themselves away. The point is not how much you're getting out of it. Oh, is that right? Where does it say that? Yeah, yeah, just, this is the Bible. The point is, you begin to give yourself away. And the interesting thing is this, that as you, as you give yourself away, you're, you're going to start getting things. You're going to get things out of it for sure when you give yourself away. You know, small groups are kind of like a family. You know, I don't participate in my family based on how much I'm getting out of it. I mean, think about how ridiculous this would be. You know, I don't call Jess up on certain nights of the week and say, hey, hon, you know, I'm not going to be home for dinner tonight. Because last night, I wasn't really into the conversation. I mean, you guys went on a tangent. I wanted to talk about me, and you wanted to go somewhere else. The kids were acting up. It was wild. I couldn't enjoy my meal. And, and by the way, the meal wasn't that awesome. <laughs> That's ridiculous, isn't it? It's absolutely ridiculous. I guess I'll just eat somewhere else. No, that doesn't happen. I'm devoted to my family. I'm devoted to being there. I'm devoted to being engaged and involved. And, and whatever the conversation is, that's where we're going tonight. Whatever the food is, that's what we're eating. And there have been some bad ones. I'm saying, I've made some bad ones. And whenever you put mustard on anything, it messes the whole thing up. Just letting you know for those who are cooking. I'm devoted to my family. I love them. I'll do anything for them. I think we need to rethink about this and ask God to really give us a heart of devotion. Maybe this is a good time to, to stop and ask a question, what really is church? Well, is, church is really a group of people who covenant with each other. You hear that word covenant? It's like you give yourself to each other. Like a marriage relationship, no matter, for better or for worse, for good, yeah, whatever, you know. I've done too many weddings, I can't remember anymore. Sickness and health. Whatever, we're there, we're committed, we're in covenant together. Not when the going gets tough, the tough get going. That's not, that's not what we do as a church. We're a family. We're there, we're there to stand by each other. According to Acts 2, you cannot be a disciple of Jesus and be disconnected to the church. Is there an amen in the room? Is there a louder amen in the room? You can't. How can you devote yourself to each other if you're not even committed enough to show up? Oh, this is hurting some people here. How do you devote yourself to each other if you're not even committed enough to be with the people? How about this? We've all heard, well, I love Jesus. I just don't like the church. Here's a news flash. You can't love Jesus and hate his bride. Oh. Remember, we are the church. We are called his bride. How about this? Hey, Dave, I, I really like you, 
but I don't like Jess. All right? You know, why don't you come over for dinner? I will make something real good for you. Please don't bring that wife of yours with you. Listen to me. If that were ever to happen, we got problems. Because we are one. We're together. You, you say something about her, we, we got some real problems here. We're connected. We're one flesh. The, well, you know, the other people say, well, the church is, 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 is full of hypocrites. Well, we got room for one more. Come on in. You're invited to church. Come on down. You can't love Jesus and hate his bride. The two go hand in hand. Is there an amen in the room today? Are you saying that if you don't go to church, you're not a Christian? Well, I'm saying it's like someone experiencing homelessness. They're without a home. And as a church, we've done our best, and we're working on this. We, we have, we're working on helping those who, who are without homes. We've done this over the, the coldest months of the year. We do our best to serve them because they need help. It's not healthy to be on the streets, right? Christians that are not part of churches are like homeless Christians, and it's not healthy. Devotion to each other is super important. The third thing is that we see here in this passage of Scripture is they were devoted to God's presence. They were devoted to his presence. Verse 42, it says, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. I mean, the Lord's table was, was a special time in which Jesus promised to be present in a very special way. And we, we try to do that at least once a month, and, and next week we'll, we'll, we'll share the Lord's table in a special way. He's always present in worship, of course. But he's present in a special way during that time. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, that we are participating in the presence of Christ himself when we celebrate it. They devoted themselves to that. They also believed that the Spirit of God was upon each one of them. Paul would later explain that each one came to the gatherings ready to be used by the Spirit of God with words and insight for one another. Oh. They came to church gatherings expecting to be in God's presence and expecting to be used by God. Let me ask you this question. What do you come to church expecting? Are you expecting to meet with God? Or to hear a sermon? Some good music? Are you going to your, maybe your connection or a small group full of the Spirit, ready to be used? Or, or are you just going out, going to hang out with some friends? I think we have a severe problem in the church. With this lack of expectations when we come to church, listen to me, we are meeting with God. Jesus, help us to get this. We're meeting with God. 
your posture, your expectation, and your commitment says a lot about your perspective and your priority to receive from God and being in His presence. Listen to me, a couple, couple, I think it was a couple months ago now, I, I took my two little ones, we were in Toronto, and I said, let's go to a sports game, let's go see the Toronto Raptors. Man, we tried to get tickets, we got tickets, they were way too expensive, but we went to the game, we were pumped. We didn't even care what was going to happen. We get into the, the stadium, and man, the Raptors are playing. They're shooting threes, and they're just beating the other team. It was Miami, and I am saying this because Toronto is, is like done. But we were so excited. And my, my littlest, littlest one, she's like, Dad, I thought I was going to be bored. I love this game. It's great. So exciting. We're like, ah, yeah, scream. Who cares who wins? We were so excited, and the Raptors won that night. It was amazing. I spent a lot of money, and it was like, uh, just, you go crazy. And we have this expectation going to a sports game, but when we come to church, like, oh. I don't know what we come expecting. What do you come expecting? Some of you are prayed up, and you're like, oh, come on, Jesus, let's, let's, let's see it. Come on, send down the fire. Other users, you know, just, my grandma said I should go to church and eat my vitamins. It's very good. <laughs> I think we got a bit of a problem here. Our expectation is either non-existent or just low. Verse 43 says, and, and awe came upon every soul. You know what awe means? This crushing weight. When God is present, present, there is a hushed sense of awe. Not always noisy. You don't got to jump up and down and sing until you start sweating. I mean, we've, we've experienced this in our services, haven't we? When it feels like you can just feel God. And it doesn't mean the music is hype and all the lights are working in the same right direction and everything's right and the smoke machine is just, ooh, it's amazing. Wow, that was amazing. No, it's just this hushed sense that God is moving. You have this weight of the awe of the Spirit of God living and breathing in you and you know that God is in this place. Does a spirit of awe define our church? Does it define, define your group? Does it define your small group? Does it define your home? Does it define your life? Do you come ready to meet with God when you come to church? To minister with the Spirit of God, prayed up with words ready to encourage the body of believers. And the last thing, they were devoted to prayer. Watch this. They seemed to feel intimately their dependence on God. They prayed all the time. Someone gets into trouble, Acts 4, 12, they pray. They have a need, they pray. They're scared, they pray. Jesus had left them in a state of total dependence. Jesus gave them a great commission and told them to do nothing about it except pray until he came as the Holy Spirit. For those 10 days, they prayed. And then Peter stands up to preach. He preaches for about 10 minutes, and 3,000 people were saved. Prays for 10 days, preached for 10 minutes, 
3,000 people were saved. We pray for 10 minutes, preach for 10 days, and three people got saved. We got the zeros in the wrong place. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. I'm telling you, I wouldn't be here today if the word of God wasn't shared to a group of Italians in Italy where my parents and their whole village came to know the Lord. At a young age, my dad was 12 years of age. An apostle came in, spoke the words of God. They saw signs. They saw wonders. They saw miracles. They saw people come to life. They saw an old life come back to new because the word was spoken. And I wouldn't be here today if my family didn't come to know the Lord so many years ago. My father is he's almost 85 years of age, hasn't turned his back on Jesus. And I am a product of what the Spirit of God can do in someone's life. Mom and dad, what you do when the doors are closed matters. What you do matters to your young people. Saints in the church, elderly saints, your kids have moved on and you're all alone and you're in this building today. I want you to know people are watching you. Those little ones are watching you. They see you. They, they see you worshiping. They see you in the presence of God. You still matter to God. Oh, you're not done. You're still breathing. You're not done. God's got a plan for you. Tongues of fire, healing. God was attesting to their proclamation of the gospel by signs and wonders. Does God still do this today? Yes, he does. The first sermon, 3,000 people are being saved. But notice, this day, day by day, people in the community were being saved. As the church devotes themselves to these four things. Because it's the church's devotion to these four things that demonstrates the power of the gospel and the reality of the Spirit that's within, within them. The Holy Spirit, I want you to see this, is invisible. Right? The kingdom of Jesus is invisible. It's like, maybe you remember this, that superhero story about the invisible man. If you're my age, maybe, maybe you know there's many versions of it, but I remember the kind of the sort of the cartoon version of this. The invisible man couldn't be seen unless you, you spilled paint on him because he's invisible. But you throw paint on him, you can see him, or you throw a coat over him or a blanket. Oh, there he is. And the generosity and the testimony of the church is like the paint thrown on by the Holy Spirit because it shows you the shape and the beauty of Jesus. Jesus is attractive. And when people see Jesus, they're drawn to him. What we do as believers is show the beauty of Christ. In verse 46, the phrase, let's look at that phrase, glad and generous hearts. Glad implies here joyful, satisfied. Paul goes to prison. What does he do? He sings. Peter goes to prison, he, was he? he sleeps. They gave away their money, and they were happy about it because they had found something more than money. 
And so I've been thinking about the shape of Jesus and what makes me really think that he's even real when I can't see him. Well, there's a lot of things. But I can remember as a child, many times I would come home from school or early in the mornings or late at nights, and I would either catch my mom or dad or both, and they're crying out to God in prayer. Like, what's wrong with them? Why are they they crying? Why are they so sad? But they were just crying out to God, God, we need you. There's a situation we're praying for. Or we're praying on behalf of our lost friends who don't know you. Jesus, we need you to intervene in this situation. God, we need you to come through in this situation. Lord, I want more of you. I need to be filled by your spirit so I can do the things you've called me to do. I don't know what they were praying sometimes. They were praying for it all. And it was always, daily, I could see this. I could see the the passion, the fire inside of them. They prayed for everything. I mean everything. They would experience the results of this answered prayer. And, and even though I struggled at times with walking out my faith, I never doubted God was real because I saw the shape of God through the prayers of my parents. Their devotion to him was incredible. That was the shape of my Jesus. Let me ask you this. Does your life reflect the shape of God? Is your generosity a picture of your priority with Jesus at the top of your list? Is your time, what you spend time doing, evident that God is a major priority in your life? Does your life reflect the glory and the shape of Jesus? Just because you can say, Jesus is my homeboy, I don't even know what that means. I'm a Christian, but, but is there evidence in your life that Jesus is the center of all you do? What are your kids seeing about the invisible God from your life? What are your friends seeing in you? I know what your mouth tells you. I know what your mouth tells them, but people see what is fiction and what is real from your life. Not by, not by what comes out of your mouth, by what you do. Let me ask you this. What do people see coming out of your relationship with God? They may see you in church, But do they see you struggling with God, communing with God, depending on God, praying and digging into his word? Do they see that? Do they see that God is the source of all your strength? I've seen people in this church confronted with the reality of people struggling with homelessness. We've seen this over the number of months. And they don't just say, well, well, that's the church's problem. The church will take care of them. No, they dropped everything. And they took care of those who were in need. They would drive them places. They would get things for them and serve them and and pray for them and see God show up in their life. That is what God was doing. It's not about someone else. It's about you connecting with him. Have you given yourself to these four things today? If not, maybe it's because you really don't believe the message. Or you've never been filled with the Spirit. Because people who believe the message and are filled with the Spirit do this naturally. They believe that God came from heaven to save them, so they devoted themselves to the teaching, to getting the Word of God in their heart. They did it like their lives depended on it. Because why? Because it did. If you believe that God's Word is what it says it is, 
that your heart is messed up, that the world you live in is messed up, then you're going to make sure that you're investing in the Word of God into you because you can never hope to have a good home, a good marriage, good life, never hope to please God unless when life cuts you, you bleed God's Word. Do you believe? If you believe, you would do it naturally. You don't need me to tell you that this morning. You devote yourself to each other. If you believe that God gave himself for you, it would come naturally to you. Do you pray desperately today? If you believe what the gospel says you do, do you have so much joy in the Holy Spirit that when life messes you up, you're generous, you're glad because of the treasure you possess in him? Do you come to church expecting the fire of God because you believe the presence of God dwells in the presence of his people? Are you devoted to the gospel and to the spirit? If you are, then you do all these four things. Are you devoted to the gospel? You know, sociologists say that our generation has a problem with commitment. Actually, I disagree with that. Let me tell you why. Here's the scenario. Tune in. There's a guy with a job. He, he comes in late to work. He takes random days off. People say he's got a commitment problem. No. He doesn't have a commitment problem. He's just not committed to his job. He's committed to whatever is keeping him from his job, which may be his laziness, his hobbies, or, or playing video games until 3 a.m. That's what he's committed to. How about this one? A girl's dating a guy. He won't commit to her. Oh, he, he just won't commit to her. He has commitment issues. No. He doesn't have commitment issues. He's just not committed to you. He's so committed to himself that his own freedom that he doesn't want to mess that up. So maybe you need to drop kid the deadbeat. Maybe you need to move on. Find a real man. Is there an amen in the house here today? We don't have a commitment issue. We don't have a devotion issue. All of us are devoted to something. All of us. But are we devoted to the gospel? If we're devoted to the gospel, it will show itself up in these four areas of devotion. Listen to me. Small groups, it's a really great way to apply all of these things. And this would be a great Sunday to have a link to, to all the small groups that we're starting, but we're kind of in the summer and things are going to get rolling again. And so if you're interested, let me know how we can connect with you. It's September, we're full-on small groups. Full-on small groups. But if you want to get connected into the life of the church and the people, let me know how you can do that. If you're like, ah, I see some of the groups that are going on, but I'd love to start something. I would love, I have a heart and desire for this. Come talk to me. Dave at MyJourney.Church. We'd love to talk about that. Some of you would say, well, I want to connect and I want to give myself to God, but, but really I'm just too busy. Really? Maybe you're just too busy to be a disciple of Jesus. Listen, I don't want to be a small group legalist here today. I'm not saying you have to. I'm just saying that maybe are you, are you too busy for Jesus to be connected? I just... 
I want you to be honest with yourself today. I want you to understand this today. You can't be too busy for the essentials. Yeah, but I don't know anybody. Well, that's the whole reason why we do small groups. So you can get to know people. Yeah, well, I just don't see the need. Have you been listening for the last 30 minutes? Why we need to get connected? Well, I'll get to it later. I'm really busy right now. No, you won't. You said that last year and the year before. Yeah, but I'm going through some really hard things. Perfect. Join the club. Who isn't? The best place to be is in a small group where you're like family, where someone's got your back. I want you to stand up all across this room. Let's just take a leap. Take a leap together. It's time to take a step of obedience and say, I'm going to devote myself to these things because I want to be a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. Now I'm looking at the time. I'm realizing, oh no, I'm minus 9.51 minutes behind schedule. Uh Uh-oh. But I want to close a little bit different today. Listen, we're talking Holy Spirit. We're talking about connection together today. Here's what we're going to do. The music's playing quietly. Acts 2.42, I want you to put that up on the screen. Just Acts 2.42, none of the moving slides, none of that fancy thing. There we are. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to find two or three people, right? I I told you this. I already warned you at the beginning of the service. You're going to pray with each other. You didn't believe me. Uh Uh-oh, pastor, what's the matter with him? I want you to pray in small groups, groups of two and three, which means in a minute you're going to turn around or person beside you and pray together out loud for these things. I want you to pray for this, okay? Here's what we want to do. Some of you already say, oh, no, I hate this stuff. I get so nervous. I'm an introvert. Why doesn't he respect that? I don't know the people beside me. It's okay. They don't know you either. So introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Dave, or whatever your name is. And, uh, and if you don't want to be involved in this at all, here's what you do. Sit down, really low, as low as you can go. And that's the International Journey Church symbol saying, leave me alone. Okay? We'll leave you alone. No problems there. But here's what I want you to do. In a moment. <laughs> what's the matter with this guy? In a moment, I want us to read, I want us to, to, to pray this scripture out over our church. I want us to pray, God, help us to be people who devote themselves to the teaching of the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. So we're going to just do this for two minutes, okay? So go ahead. Let's do that fine person right where you are, two or three people, like a, a triune nature, three people, four if you have to. That's okay. And I'm going to break in in about two minutes. Go ahead. Don't leave. Don't leave. Really important moments here. Can you just stick it out just for a few more moments together? Thank you for joining us today on Journey Church Podcast. For more information about our ministry, visit myjourney.church.